Audio Astronauts. Two dudes pondering the depths of modern recording. To move this uh, to move this train along a little bit, um, yeah, you know, one thing that I wanted to to talk about um, with with the studio, like being um, you know somebody that has their own studio now and is like working pretty consistently, um, is this thing that that I found was kind of interesting, which is like things that are mundane yet important. Well, I saw I saw you got you had all the band members together in the same room for the first time in what two years? Yeah, almost. almost. It's been it's been <laughs> probably been a year and a half or so, but yeah, and and I think this kind of coincides with that, which is having musicians come into the studio. You know, one of the things that is not like this, you know, really exciting thing. People love to talk about microphones and all this, you know, the, the fun stuff, like the, and yeah, the, the cool stuff. But one of the things that's the most important is nobody talks about candles these days like how important <laughs> it is to set up yeah. set a vibe <laughs> yeah well you know setting a vibe is something that's really always been important to me it's been important in live shows it's been important in this yeah. you know it, you know just everything how i've always arranged my studios and stuff but how do you how do you set it up to make people feel inspired i think that one thing that we can point to from a technical standpoint is is headphone mixes. And again, this is like, it's not mm. the the fabulous cool stuff. It's kind of behind the scenes. But if you, if you can't hear yourself, then you're not going to play very well. I think a lot of people don't understand that musicians, songwriters, uh, instrumentalists, um, you know, singers, like they are not engineers. They are not mixing engineers. They don't understand you know, everything about what a, an engineer or a producer or somebody that's in that role thinks about on a daily basis. And, you know, as someone that is a musician first and came into this, I'm just kind of like, doesn't everybody just know, like, to yeah. request <laughs> things in their mix and all this, but they don't really. And so something that you can do that really helps is to to think about all of those things beforehand. So what's your, what's your process? I mean, I know you, you have an avion system so you have at least eight available tracks to be able to break out for them uh, 16 so yeah i can do 16 i mean i'm only i only have a 16 channel studio so i can do all 16 channels out to the avioms um oh, you can yeah uh wow. all 16 and uh and i actually up upgraded the system so i've got plenty of avioms i've got like even extras What's more important than having this system? And the system's important, obviously, so that I can do, you know, recording with a bunch of musicians at the same time, and they can all have individual mixes in their headphones. Yeah. Um, what's really important is that I, I actually go through, as I'm building the session and I'm setting up and I'm miking everything, and then I'm assigning everything that's going out to these monitor mixes, I go in and I put the cans on in every single station and I dial up oh. a mix and I'm like, oh, this is the guitar player station. They're going to want a little more of themselves. They're going to want a little more of this. Sure. If I know the musicians at all, then I'm going to tailor those to their personalities. Um, you know, people that I've worked with, I know like, oh, they like this or they, they don't like this. A lot of times and if it's singers, I'll take the master bass volume and I'll roll it down a little bit because bass can interfere with pitch more oh, yeah. so than other um, yeah. sounds. So yeah. there's all these like little kind of nuances that you can think about, but the most important part is just to to think about it at all, right? To be aware right. that your job as an engineer or your job as a producer is is more about getting an artist to be themselves, to be the best version of themselves they can be in the studio, to be comfortable so they can be inspired. And I think that starts with these kind of mundane ideas, these things like headphone mixes. Um, also, you know, it could be the visuals, it could be atmosphere, you know, I mean, I've always been in like a basement studio with like, I think, I think you, I was going to say, I think you have a, a leg up with this new space, you know, because you actually live on this property and yeah. have your animals in a garden and, you know, Sarah's there with her studio and, and, and all of that. So, you know, whereas, um, you know, if you, you were in New York or LA or even Atlanta and you go into a studio, it's a pretty unnatural feeling, you know, and you vibed it out with like wood and, you know, it, it feels very 
warm and friendly and inviting already. Yeah. Whereas a lot of commercial studios are very sterile and clinical and it's, and it's even harder for an artist to be able to respond because it's, it's yeah. about to me, especially with singing, it's about emoting. It's about telling a story. It's about connecting with another human being or, you know, trying to, to do yeah. that. And it's hard to do that in a doctor's office. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and all those things from my perspective are deliberate. I mean, they're deliberate for me because I am that artist in the space, right? It's not like right. I'm trying to manufacture a vibe for other people. I'm trying to make a vibe that inspires me so that when I walk in here, I'm like, oh my God, you know, I mean, I think I probably mentioned this to you at some point uh, just in passing, but like, you know, there's days I'll be in here and I'm just sitting, you know, before I'm really getting started and I just kind of look around, I'm like, holy shit, you know, like I'm in This is awesome. This is what I wanted. awesome. And this is, yeah. And <laughs> You know, I manifested I, I, this <laughs> and not, and not losing those moments, you know, not losing that, you know, appreciation or not losing that like clarity of what is, you know, I think this is a little bit meta metaphysical or spiritual, but you know, one of the, one of the main kind of hurdles or, or, um, barriers that the human race has as a whole is that we forget what it's like to be a child. We totally, we totally build an identity that negates everything that we once were open to. Um, and so those ideas, those concepts of being like joyful and happy and just uh, in the moment, in the present moment, those well, things. Well, think about when we talk about music, what do you do with music? You play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's a great, that's a great point. You know, it's, it's music should be something that liberates people from suffering in some way. That's really what it should do. And I think, you know, as a producer, one of the things I yeah. want to do for the artists is liberate them from anxieties, stresses, pressures, um, worrying about if they can hear themselves, all these things, you know, because you, you sometimes look at a musician and they, they have this, an, an ego to some degree, whether or not they're cocky or they're just whatever, you know, they have an ego that is like, this is what I do and this is how I do it. And, you mm -hmm. know, but underneath all that is still a person that has insecurities. It's still a person that, that has oh, all these things. And, and, you know, something that I've learned over the years is that's kind of, that's part of being a producer is like, is understanding those things and, and allowing for those things to have, to be able to, to, you know, not be in the way of what you're trying to do. And that's an ongoing job. It never really stops. You know, every single artist I talk to, there's some version of, you know, trying to get around anxieties and stresses or, or um, really like um, clinging to ideas. You know, a lot of times people want to cling to these certain ideas about their song, but they're doing that because of insecurities. They're not doing it because they know that that's the right thing. You know, mm. um, so this is a, a little bit different than the mundane we were talking about. This is a yeah. little bit more profound, but I think you can tie those two things together when you start to think about the mundane things in terms of how they affect the profound things. You know, a headphone mix well, will literally change a session from being a shitty session that you can't figure out why this artist isn't delivering something to being the smoothest, most, you know, no hiccups kind of thing ever, just because they feel good, they feel comfortable. And um, when when I brought Quiet Hounds, we all got together to do these writing sessions uh, on the back of um, the releases that we did. You know, we're starting to write for more songs and we did it all live. And so yep. everybody was set up with a station and that kind of thing. And um, it's a good example of like how I'll approach that with anybody, you, which is- Did you give them toys? Did you give them toys? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, you know, I know that like I had a, con I've had several conversations with Eric about him kind of, he gets bored with the guitar because it's like, I, I play the same chords. I go to the sure. same places, you know, I, I don't hear anything that excites me. And, um, you know, with Brad having his own setup and kind of doing this kind of loops and ideas, you know, I kind of got a game plan going in and I talked to the band about it too. I mean, we kind of discuss everything together and figure out kind of like an approach that we want to take. Um, but these are things that I think about with other artists and they're things that I think about on my own as well, which is like, how do I make, how do I set us up for success? So in Eric's case, it was like, okay, let's give him a world 
that's mm -hmm. in, interesting and fun for him, a little sandbox. And so he has like some cool synthesizers and I set up a Rhodes um, with, but in the box, I put some delays and stuff on it. And, and right. you know, like I made some, a world for him that was not normal so that when he sat down and he started to hear sounds, those sounds would trigger inspirations or exciting things. Right. And, um, you know, same thing in Michael's world, even though he's a guitar player mainly, I set up a bunch of weird keyboards and I, I, I went uh. through all these different pedals. Like he actually has a buddy who's a famous actor, Ethan Embry, um, who built him a, this sick ass, a, like modulation pedal. And okay. he gave it to him for his birthday and it, and he had messed around with it a little bit. But we never really had figured out what the hell this pedal was good at. But uh -huh. I spent some time ahead of the session playing with that pedal so that I could figure out what it did. And yeah. I figured it out, and I was like, wow, this thing is really cool. And so it kind of became one of the personalities on one of the songs that we worked on. And, you know, all this to say is that it's mundane, but if you spend a lot of time on your prep, if you really think about what the people that you're about to record need to, to, mm -hmm. to be motivated or inspired then you're going to end up with a much better product. And um, another thing that I want to talk about with this mundane yet important was that I did all this prep work, right? I did all these setups and there's all these channels. There's all my, there's, you know, everything in my studio is being utilized effectively. I had 16 channels of, of recording happening. Yeah. And w the last thing in the world you want to do is forget what the hell you did. <laughs> if, if, yeah. if something was working, you know? Um, and so one of the things that I've, so I've how do gotten, you... yeah, I've gotten really good at this with this new space is like thinking about ideas that are concrete, right? Like I have a space, it's not going away. I can build on things that I do. So you, you don't have to tear everything down and, and haul it somewhere else. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or, it's, you know, it's in not my the case, living room. exactly. Move it out of the way <laughs> so that you can, you know, have people over, but, Actually um, live. <laughs> yeah. But but I've made um, re recall sheets for Magnetic, you know, for the studio that are basically, nice. I do things that are for like all 16 tracks. So if I'm running a, a full session, you know, I can go down and notate what sources I was recording, what microphones, what pre's, what compressors, and then there's, you know, settings right. for all those things, there's availability. And so it'll be, you know, whatever the date is, whatever the artist and, and the song we worked on, and then all the kind of settings that we used, and usually I make that documentation at the end of the session because by the end of the session, I've worked out all the hiccups, right? Like this didn't work or I needed to change this pre or this right. microphone was weird. You, I'm happy with what I got by the time I make that. Iterations, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, we will change, like drums change, we'll swap snares out a lot or we'll somebody will play yeah. a different guitar and I try to make notes on that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm doing that way more, even in sessions that aren't as um, live like that, I'll have recall sheets and I'll, I can actually throw some of these on the video like to show them, but um, I do cool. recall sheets for my preamps and compressors. I have recall sheets for like my final mix bus. And, mm -hmm. and I tr I've been trying to get into a habit to where I always document this stuff because there've been days where I've set up something in here for the, to do a drum session. And, and I listened to the drums like a couple weeks later, I'm like, these are the best drums I've ever recorded in my life. You know, what in the hell did I do, right? Like, and so having a documentation of what nice you actually did. to be able to did, go back. <laughs> yeah. And, you might and, be able to recreate that. Right. And I don't, I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but like for me, you know, I change stuff all the time. I experiment constantly. I, I can't just do the same thing over and over. I'm always trying to like push the envelope. Like, yeah. you know, if I got something that I love, I'm like, okay, well, how do I, you know, riff on that? How do I change a couple of mics, but keep these things that are really working? Or maybe I need to add some EQs into my signal chain for these things, you know? Um, and so anyway, just go ahead and do the EQ on the way into the box instead of Right, right. Yeah, messing with plugins, and, yeah, and being able to document all the settings is really important because they're not plugins. You know, you can't just open your right. session and dial them back up. And you know, you had mentioned that um, even back when we were doing the Wild Hunt, you know, when you were engineering a lot of stuff, like you were taking notes of those sessions and yeah. like just in a journal. I or whatever. still have those notebooks around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think like you know, you don't necessarily have to have this big kind of elaborate binder you know, three ring binder kind of vibe yeah. that I'm doing, but it, it but helps. But you know what I do too, is I take pictures 
I take lots of pictures of the, yeah. where the knobs are and stuff. Right. I try so, to do that with well mic as, placements, like mic placements, because it's kind of hard to document that in words sometimes, like a mic placement. Yeah. Um, I'll try to take pictures of that. But those don't really, for me, I don't really end up saving those usually. I like, I'll usually take those if I'm changing Safe. something like, yeah, <laughs> yes. But, um, but anyway, I think like, like spending some time thinking about some of that kind of stuff really helps the overall sessions. Like, you know, we're going to do another one of these sessions with the band maybe in another couple of weeks and I'll be able to go back and recall all that stuff identically. I, I won't miss anything. I'll be like, this is exactly what I did. If I, if I liked anything I did, I've got it here. If I want to change something, I can manipulate it then. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of a cool, um, kind of a cool, couple of cool, interesting things that, you know, I, I think are important. Yeah. Uh, I was reading, um, one of the one of the books that has uh, interviews with different producers, and and one of those was Daniel Lenoir, and he was talking about having these uh, that in his studio, not just like a band setup, like even if it was like just a, a singer songwriter coming in, he'd have all these stations set up, you know, so he'd have a keyboard station with a little, you know. Uh, guitar amp, you know, so some sounds over there. And then there's a, you know, like you said, a, a, a guitar with some different kind of pedals, maybe the artist never played with anymore. Because I mean, I can spend sit down and spend hours playing guitar and diddling with the pedals and stuff, you know, getting interesting sounds. It's a cool, it's a cool idea. And so you sort of have that set up at your studio already. Yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of everything, like in terms of fun worlds. But I would say that like, more important than than having those fun worlds set up is spending a little time finding something yourself that you think will inspire the artist because mm. you know I, I don't I've, really have I've heard that usually from other people yeah. yeah I usually don't have time to let an artist mess around for two hours to find a sound you know you've killed right. your whole day like it'll you, they'll be bored and uninspired by the time they find the sound True. so if you can spend your own time kind of doing that I think is like important and and it's fun you know like you're in the studio, you're, you know, should be fun. Like that should be a fun exercise. Mm -hmm. um, so those are kind of things that I've been trying to do like on a daily basis is like turn, turn all these like work, these tasks, these just job that we have. This isn't a job, man. This is just fun. I'm just living, I'm just being. Well, so how do yeah. you, how do you teach somebody to do that? Well, how? that's a really, that's a really good question. And, um, you know, something you know, that, something that I think like you, A, you've, you have taught me some of these like kind of fundamental um, approaches to things and something that I think that is a cool topic to talk about. Um, Cause I actually have been approached like, multiple times about internships in the past month. And which is so weird for me. It's like it, A, tells me I'm old, you know, I, Deke, you're old <laughs> now, you know, or at least I've established something that feels somewhat Someday of like... Someday the student you know, will become the master. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, you know, my response to those things are like, you know, I would love to help anybody. I mean, honestly, and it's totally true, like helping people figure some of this shit out, I would love to do that. On the other hand, I'm like, whoa, it's kind of scary to me, you know, like it should be scary to the intern, but it's actually scary to me to say, wow, how do, how do you utilize a person in a way that's helpful to them, that teaches them, that gives them something that they need fundamentally um, well, and, and have them not also get in your way, you know, like not actually interrupt the flow, interrupt the, the process that you're in. I think that's the weird part for me. I mean, <laughs> one of the things that, that I don't think is talked about uh, as much there. There's a book that I have about um, being a good, uh, it's a, an assistant engineer, but it's basically geared towards like interns or people just getting started out in the studio world and not just like probably a different scenario than, you know, you, where you're the producer, the engineer, one of the artists, you know, you, and it's your facility. Like that's, that's not how, uh, at least when I was coming up, that's not kind of how it was done. Like the home studio wasn't as attainable as it is today. Yeah. And so this kind of formal internship process, and it was abused a lot when I was coming up. I mean, you, um, there are not that many jobs. 
and that was in the you know mid '90s. There weren't that many yeah. jobs. I I moved to Atlanta and ended up not working in a studio. Uh, and ended up building studios because there weren't any jobs. And I had to like put a roof over my head and actually pay bills and stuff. And they want you to do a six to nine, 12 month unpaid internship where you you fundamentally went and got people coffee and lunch and clean toilets and all of this very unglamorous stuff in hopes that maybe you know, at some point, nobody would be using the studio and you could get in there and kind of learn. It took you a long time to even get in the the room. But what I was going to say is um, one of the things people don't talk about that I, and this is on the mundane, but important as well is uh, personal hygiene. Nobody wants to sit in a room all day with somebody who smells bad, you know, to get some mints, put stick those pits. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> I mean, it sounds it sounds silly, but it, you nothing will wreck a vibe than you know yeah. people smelling bad. And and the other thing is learn when not to speak, which is all the time. Mm. You know, at, when you're just getting started out, your whole role is to be uh, alert and uh, ready to help and jump in and help at any time. And uh, the other thing is just absorb, you know, you're, you don't know what's going on. So maybe you've never been in a session before. So how does the session work? How does the assistant work with the uh, main engineer? And so, you know, take notes, you know, I mean, one of the things, another (laughs) thing I learned uh, in my first internship, which was actually with uh, John Storick, who uh, designed Electric Ladyland, he was actually an architect. built recording studios and he built full sale where I went to school. And so he offered an intern program and, uh, it was very unpleasant. (laughs) Uh, you know, it was in New Paltz, New York. And, um, so I was away from my girlfriend, uh, family, all of that living in a, a, a crappy, uh, rental apartment with a bunch of other dudes and no heat in, uh, upstate New York, which was terrible. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, and he'd yell a lot. So you learn things like, um, you know, it sounds really ridiculous, but one of the things you probably be doing is answering the phone and taking messages. And so I would take these messages and, I would bring these messages to him and he would berate me about getting all the information. Who was on the phone? Where, what company, you know, what are they calling from? What do they want specifically? And all this, all this information. So, and then, you know, when I get sent to go pick up lunch, you know, you go around, you take everybody's order. So I started carrying, and I still today carry two uh, pins in my pocket at all times. You can, (laughs) my friends make fun of me because of that, but, and a, and a notebook, you know, so that I can, a small little one that fits in my back pocket. So I can always make notes or take a Starbucks order or whatever, because they're not doing that to punish you. They're doing that to make sure you're paying attention to detail. And that Uh you're getting those things correct. And that's not a studio trick. That's not a microphone technique that teaches you some critical thinking and attention to detail, because it's important to remember, like you were talking about documenting all your settings, like that stuff is important. If you want to go back, you know, back, back in the day before everything was in DAW, I mean, I'm old enough that, you know, (laughs) I mean, they had DOS, but we were still recording on tape machines that uh, there was no recall, you know, on the, the SSL had a sort of recall, but um, where you had a a kind of very bad image on the screen with representation of the knobs and where they Uh were. So you could kind of, it was still effectively a photograph or a, you know, a written documentation of where you needed to turn knobs back to, (laughs) but you didn't have this in your pocket. Yeah. You didn't even have digital in the nineties. You didn't have uh, digital cameras. Yeah. Like totally. point and shoot kind of thing. So anyway. So, so I want to ask you something about this because, um, you know, for me, this is, uh, you're bringing up a lot of points that really, um, really make me think about this whole interns thing ship and, and how I would, how I would approach it because I don't, I, I do not yell at people. I do not make people feel bad. I do. I, I go out of my way 
to try to make people feel as good and as themselves as possible. That is, that is a Deke Spears, you know, yeah. thing. That's like, that is how I've tried to approach this world is like, and I would have a very hard time assigning well. tasks to people in a way that felt belittling or demeaning to them. It doesn't matter who they are, like how or how old they are, what their experience is. So, I, you know, I guess what I want to ask you though is, do you well, like, think that those approaches that did you, do you think that the approach of, you know, these guys yelling at you or, or being super critical of how you approached everything, was that helpful to you? Did you, did you, do you look back and say, that's the way I should have been taught these things? Well, yeah, in in somewhat retrospect, I mean, uh, it was very uncomfortable at the time and, you know, obviously hurt my feelings and, you know, uh, and being a Southerner in New York, you know, yeah. uh, you know, it was, it was, it was tough, but it was good. It's very old school to say that those things that don't kill you make you stronger and yeah. uh, give you character and stuff. But it did teach me some lessons. Could I have learned those lessons without being berated? Probably. You know, yeah. would it have felt better? Yeah. If I have an internship program, am I going to yell at people and do that? Hell no. Yeah. But I'm going to take the experience that I had from that and teach certain things about paying attention taking, you know, attention to detail, not coming back and asking questions every five minutes, getting all the information out of a person, you know, at, when you yeah. have them and not wasting people's time. You know, the, the biggest thing uh, is when I was talking about not speaking unless spoken directly spoken to, I think that that is important because you can say, and I'm the king of inserting foot in mouth, but like, you know, the, the, uh, the intern will be like, Oh man, I really like your music. It really reminds me of Limp Biscuit," And they're like, in the artist in no way rep, yeah. you know, <laughs> aligns yeah. with Limp Biscuit or whatever. And that just ruins the whole vibe. And everybody's like, pissed off now or you yeah. know <laughs> their ego is deflated or you know i mean so yeah, psychology how do you teach psychology most of what you were talking about when about vibe and all that like how do you how do you convey that to to somebody how do you teach somebody how to be a good person and and intuit what an artist is feeling or what they need from you or the room or the headphone mix to, to be able to yeah. get the thing that you need to get out of them onto the co computer. Can, that, can that be taught? I think is, is, I don't know. You've worked for Georgia state. Yeah. You've worked there for how long? How many years? 18, 18 years. And I know yeah. like you're, you're not technically a teacher there, but like yes. you basically had pr yet. I'm but about you, to, <laughs> but you've, almost almost all of that time or a lot of that time you've had programs that you built that mm -hmm. basically effectively brought on students that were they were able to to do your programs and then get that some credit right like yeah. you're okay they got um so um i used to run at georgia state we used to have um part of the graduate film school was a lab called the digital arts entertainment lab and uh I was I was the staff member that kind of ran all the technology and stuff for that film for this film school, and we had a studio and I I, I built an audio recording studio um, and then connected that to the studio and then started this program and so we would get assigned to us eight graduate lab assistants and so they essentially had uh, paid ten hours a week to do things in the lab and so at one point I was like. You know, started this music show about 2007 and then decided to you know and got them to be the camera ops and then i got the music technology folks to send me some uh kids from the music technology program and they started you know setting up the mics and doing the recording and stuff and you know that's been that's been really nice and then uh uh randomly i met a guy zach piles through um a friend of a friend and he came in and uh he started sort of running the audio side and i started doing more of the focusing more on the camera stuff and 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 trying to really up the production value in in that term but mm -hmm. but so i really really hit 
enjoyed working with those students because it was a, an experience they didn't get in a classroom. It was practical. It's hands-on. Right. You know, I would bring in real artists and some of these were national touring artists like, you know, Robin Hitchcock and uh, he'd have um, Peter Buck from REM and, um, you know, anyway, uh, real big folks. Yeah. And, and so it was that same thing. You had to teach them how not to go and fanboy on the guy from Peter Buck. Right. That can, and treat them right and with respect and stuff and give them a, a real world, like professional environment, even though we were at the university. And so right. I think I've, the feedback I've gotten over the years, now that we've been doing it for 14 years, um, the students really, really enjoy doing that and it's something that they're not getting in a traditional classroom and so well you know there's something um, that you you everybody's been you, able to go out and get a job right well you neglected to say how you send them all out to get your coffee and your food orders and, i don't you know do that that's what i mean like that practical application is actually what is giving them the actual experience and the confidence I would say to feel like they can go out into the world and do the thing. Right. Like, yeah. Right. You know, I, there's something so you to that. Skip, you skip the scrubbing toilets part. Right. I like, why should any, you know, like, I'm not saying that people shouldn't I, scrub toilets. I mean, I scrub my toilet, but like, I, you know, I don't think I need to make somebody else do that to learn some lesson that I had to learn. I just feel like, well, that's, here, I, Hey, 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 I'm here to tell you, I mean, scrubbing your own toilet is one thing, but I think everybody, and, and I'm going to say this because I have a 13 year old who's always like asking me for, you know, a, a new video game or, you yeah. know, bu uh, bucks for uh, Fortnite or V bucks for Fortnite or whatever. Like he doesn't understand the value of money because it's not like tangible. When you've scrubbed crap off the wall at a Burger King bathroom, yeah. And you're like, how? And I don't understand physically how they got that species up that high like how does that even ceiling. work <laughs> yeah. Yeah. anyway I, I think there's something uh humbling about that 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 teaches you uh some respect so I, I i i wouldn't say the berating thing is is a good thing but i think not getting going straight from zero to a hundred you know because I think this is just my personal feeling uh, that people are starting to get more entitled and they're not willing to do the process. Like, I mean, right. you didn't get to where you are with your, uh, the way you're able to do your productions and play your instrument and all that without going through the, and doing the work. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's not like, and, and I think this expectation is true that people get frustrated that they're not immediately good on something mm -hmm. without putting in the time. So, I've, you know, I don't know if scrubbing toilets is necessarily the best thing, but I, there's something that keeps you humble about that. And, you know, that you know that you're a work in progress. Like you keep talking about experimenting and constantly trying new things and trying to get better, you know, and all the time that we, I've known you, you've, you know, been like a sponge, you know, we've, I've tried to, you know, tell you as much of my experience, you know, as, yeah. as possible. And, you know, you yeah, got the whole point of this podcast, get, get into some cool things like tape machines and stuff that you might not necessarily have, or, yeah. you know, uh, you learned how to solder. Totally. I mean, you know, and I think I, I know that sometimes I, I definitely am aware of this, that I come across as somebody that's like a know-it-all or has a, has a big ego, but like, Oh, I definitely wasn't saying that. No, no, I know you're not, but I'm saying okay. it about myself. I recognize that that is something that I have had in the past, at least the capacity to do and still probably mm. do. But, but internally, I'm actually, I don't think I know everything. You know, I don't think that I know best how to do this or that, you know, like the reason that I'm constantly trying to experiment and learn is because I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I have my own studio, right? I have my own studio and I've made tons of records and I'm, you know, I get, I make a living doing this, but I still don't really think that I know what I'm doing. And I've, and I've talked to other engineers and producers um, and said this comment and they're just like, you know, that's, it's like silly when they hear it, but it's like, to me, it's like, it's the truth. Like the truth is we're all just trying to figure out 
what the hell we're doing on planet earth in general right. and then also within whatever like domain that we've associated ourselves with you know and in our case it's you know these things you know audio world and music or video or or whatever and you know i think that that keeping yourself in a place where you know you don't know everything is like the most important part um, everybody said get out of your comfort zone if you keep doing the same thing over and over again it's not you're not gonna right be inspired and, and it you know it becomes I'm, very I'm, formulaic i'm somewhat guilty of of i always what i try to do is create a comfort zone you know i i build a comfort zone i i, I always make something that works for me right and i think there's something to that I guess, but but there's there also needs to be some ability to get outside of yourself like mm -hmm. in, in in this way I, and i think like talking about you know interns I, i've i guess i've just been thinking a lot about it almost subconsciously where it's like how would i approach that you know because i'm such a private person i'm such a yeah. um i'm a i'm a person that i have a method in which i get there but i don't want somebody like sitting over my shoulder scrutinizing what i'm doing because i'm like you know, you're just hearing all of the garbage that happens before I get to the thing that people are like, oh, that's really cool. It's like, yeah, well, you should have heard all the shit that happened before that, you know, like, <laughs> and that's still the case, you know, I mean, um, I actually watched this video the other day that Butch Walker did. He, it was for, you know, a, a Fender put out the acoustic, that, I think it's called Acoustasonic or something. It's like a, a new one, the new yeah, guitar so, that's like yeah, a half yeah. electric, half acoustic. I don't think that's the Sorry. name, but they paid Something they like did that, a though. he did a paid promotion that was like here take you're going to have this guitar in your studio and you're going to he's going to build a whole song in one day you know mm -hmm. and 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 he and he did this song and he did every part he played well he had like a drum loop already established so he didn't play drums but he he played bass he played guitar he sang he kind of like made it up on the fly which i could tell that he had already kind of figured out what he was going to do beforehand you you don't make it you don't make it up from scratch that quickly. well you know reality tv isn't actual reality no but but either way like watching it you know and he he went through this process you know which is really similar to how i work which is like he does everything and he builds something that you know that starts to come to life and you're like okay here's a thing right um but you know there it's are interesting because his his studio is it is at his house and so there's an interesting tape op article on him so cool his that, studio is really cool that talks about how you know in well i think it it completely burned down his house in malibu because of the fires i think it completely burned down and he had to rebuild it so oh, the, wow. this is his second thing but anyway uh, he talks about you know and he has kids and stuff i believe so you know yeah. he talks about what his process is, you know, it's pretty yeah. interesting to be able to, um, you know, cause it goes on what we were saying before about, um, showing up is the biggest part of creativity. Like, um, right. he gets out of bed, he eats breakfast, he goes in the studio, he works for a couple of hours, he goes, does some exercise, goes, picks up the kids, comes back after dinner, looks at the stuff that he's done, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. Well, but you're in there every day doing, the work. There's some and parallels to something we've talked about on the podcast before, which is like Jeff Tweedy's book and how Jeff oh, yeah. Tweedy has a that approach of, you know, it's a work day. Like he he approaches being a musician as his job that he's going to put effort yeah. into to get a result, right? And I think that's something that you were saying, like people, younger people sometimes expecting to go from, hey, I put a thing on the internet to I'm, I'm now successful. Well, it's like, even right. if that's the case, did you learn anything of value that's, that's, that is going to create anything in the world of meaning or value at all? Right. You know, it's like, interesting. I'll bring this back. I'll bring this back around. But you were talking about release schedules and things like that. And, and are you, are you really putting out the, the, um, the necessity to put things out before they're actually like, you know, a finished, like, good product mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i mean i think i think that so, if i have anything to teach it's in that realm it, it has something to do with being the thing that you're projecting that you are mm. and believe me like i don't shit i might have figured this out last week like it's you just it's, call yourself a producer and you are well you know, in one way that's true, right? Like, you know, when you when you have an air of confidence, that that helps you get in the door, right? There is there is something that's true about that. 
And I believe that that is the tool that I've also used that served me. Like having an air of confidence has helped me navigate certain sure. scenarios. It allows me to say, sure, I can get in a room with so, so X, Y, and Z and do whatever. And, you know, and like whether or not I can, like, well, I did. So, you know what I'm saying? Like that, there is something to that, that approach. But I think that there's also much more to the approach of this idea, like Jeff Tweedy or Butch Walker, these people that yeah. actually put the time in to work that all, that's all, what I would want to teach an intern, right? Absolutely. Like I would want to teach them, you know, here's what it requires. It requires for you to take your emotional, your spiritual and mental investment and put mm -hmm. it into this. That's what it requires. You want to see what that looks like? This is what it looks like. I built a studio with my own two hands so that I could create a vibe that inspired me so that I could also then create a greater vibe that inspires artists so that mm -hmm. I could... Never did I say so that I could have cool gear or own the best yada. You know, I mean, I'm working on a freaking system that is so old that I can't update it. Like that shit is irrelevant. <laughs> it's irrelevant. Like what is relevant is you're you're not a trust fund engineer. No, man. I mean, a lot of I, these studios I see that are so badass. I'm just like, well, how yeah. the fuck did you afford that? Yeah. Well, you know, and you know, everybody has their own, own way, own path and own whatever. And I'm not, I'm not commenting or criticizing on that, but I would say that, you know, if somebody were to intern for me, I think the things that I would try to teach would have more to do with who they are as a person and less to do with the shit around them. Well, see that that's a very good point I was going to make is that, um, you know, <laughs> growing up they we didn't have the internet i'm i'm the last generation to <laughs> mm -hmm. not have to remember a time before the internet and so it was really difficult to find information about things so you had to do internships to even see what a tape machine look like or see what a mixing board or these certain microphones, whatever. Nowadays, yeah. I mean, you can get a, most of your ed technical education online. Now you got to check your sources because there are lots of people spreading misinformation about, you know, anything, but, but music and technology and audio principles and things like they, you know, so you got to be careful about that, but it's accessible to you. So what is the, the purpose of the modern internship? Well, maybe it is if you get with the right person, it's about learning how to create that environment like we were talking about, you know, yeah. the producer as a psychologist. You know, and I, and I think that, you know, I could talk about this for days, but I, there's something else that I think, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you did have some internships and you did kind of go through some of those yeah. more traditional paths when early on, you know, I did too, to a degree. Um, mm -hmm. I was always so, I was so chasing like being in a band or being in, in, you know, in the, in, in a studio or recording or doing something. I was always trying to make something great. Right. I was always trying to do that. And the way that I effectively did that is that I found people that were older than me, that were wiser than me, that could do something that I didn't know how to do. Right. And I, and I inserted myself into their equation somehow. The Butch Walker article reminded me of you because I mean, isn't he from He's around from where you're from? Well, yeah. he's from, yeah, West Georgia, I think Cartersville or something, or maybe that's South Georgia, but yeah. Um, Cartersville is North Georgia, is Northwest. Okay, so I'm from Northeast Georgia. I'm from Habersham. Okay. The, okay. Sham, the Sham. The Sham. The Sham? You're from the Sham? Actually, actually, my buddy Chip Dillard was just on Rick Beato's channel the other day. No way. It, Dude, I, and I sent him a message immediately. It made me smile so much. Like, Chip Dillard, he was the singer for Left Front Tire. Okay. The punk, like a pop punk band. Right. And, uh, they were so freaking good, man. They were so they were so much better. Like when he was when they were doing the top twenty countdown, I'm like, left front tire songs are better than that song. Left front tire songs are better than that song. <laughs> but um, but it was so cool that Rick Beato had him on, and um, you know, he's just such a good person and such a cool guy, awesome musician. But you know, he's one of the people I used to. I mean, our bands played shows together for years and years, and um, but you know, like. Chris Unk, who actually was Butch Walker's lap steel and guitar player for several years, he toured with him, was my mm -hmm. best friend for, we were best friends for, I mean, probably 10 years or more. 
Um, we played in bands together and, you know, he was a little older than me. He was about three or four years older than me. Right. He was in, he was in the coolest band in our area in White County. He was in this band called Weep, which was like the fucking greatest band ever. <laughs> Who got the first recording device and how did, how did that whole thing, how did you go from being a musician to getting into recording? You know, I, my grandmother had those, you know, those like old style tape recorders that oh, had yeah. the little extension microphone. I think they were for like receptionists or something, or you, or you, you know, like a dictate. courtroom, you take a little, yeah, you dictate notes and stuff. Yeah. I so mean, doctors, I remember, lawyers, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't know what era those were. That was probably like late eighties ish. Um, am I right? I probably got, my family got our first one of those when in the late seventies. So late seventies, yeah, yeah. So, so they've been around had for a while. Yeah, but I remember 80s. getting those when I was, you know, a kid and playing around with those. It was so magical to to record yourself and play it back. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so I would do that. My dad had, you know, some guitar. He he was he could play guitar, but he never. I didn't grow up around that. Like, but um, he had guitars under his bed that I would go like get out of there and I would mess around with them, and. uh but, you know, that, that's how recording started for me. And then, my, you know, I got like a, I was doing the thing where you get the, the boom box and you'd record stuff on the radio yep. and you could tape over the tape to overdub stuff. Yep. And then that turned into trying to do that with my own weird stuff. And then eventually I got like a four track, you know, a four track machine that actually my friend Daniel, who was in our, in our band Nuance, he, he bought it because he had a job. He was older and he had a job. <laughs> and he bought a, he bought a four track that we, that we did the trick where you start doing, you'd record two, bounce, you know, bounce to two, bounce to two, and you'd keep doing, you'd keep bouncing your tracks down to two. Well, me, so that you me and my more. buddy, uh, he had, he had a cassette deck, uh, you know, like from your home stereo, his dad had a cassette deck and my dad had a cassette deck. So I brought my cassette deck and it was two tracks, you know, over to his house. So we record on two, bounce, <laughs> bounce it down to the other tape deck and then, you know, yeah. rinse and repeat. Yeah, I, I mean, Sergeant Sergeant Pepper was made that way. Yeah, totally. With, with mean, four tracks, but with four tracks, know. yeah. But I want to finish the uh, thought I was having yeah. about the kind of Sorry. The, the path of internship was that. Oh yeah. My, you know, my friend Chris Unk, he he played with Butch Walker. This was way after, way later, but like yeah. he toured with him for several years. But you know, he he was the first guy. I was like, he just built a studio. He just turned his house into a studio. It's like oh, all yeah. that mattered. He's like, who gives a shit? Like, we're this whole house is a studio. That's what this is. And it was just so I fucking cool. You know, it's like as a, you know, 17, 18 year old guy going into a house like that and being like, oh my God, like I've made it. I've made yeah. it. You know, I'm in a studio. It's like, that's just a house with like some gear. You know, Dude, he had a my, tape machine. My first, my first record was like that too. It was, yeah. you know, on a four track in this dude's house. Yeah. But well, I was you know, like, I, but he had a drum booth. And, and we were, yeah. we had made it. <laughs> yeah. We, we, in this house, we, we had actually drilled holes in the floor to drop snakes down so we could like have snakes oh, yeah. down in the other bedrooms in and the, stuff. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but you know, that experience I think was much like an internship, even though we were just friends and we were making stuff together. He was really the guy that was recording everything. I gotcha. You know, but I was the guy that, that was learning so fast that I could then be, actively helping. I could, I could actively be doing things, you know? Right. Um, and so I think it was partly me as an individual that was just like learning at a, a, an exceptional rate and, and then applying quickly, but also uh -huh. just getting that opportunity to be around that and go, you can do it this way. You know, I, I never, your I never even learned, I never learned, oh, you have to go to a big commercial studio. To I never even learned that. I never, the first time I walked into a big commercial studio, I was like, I hate this. This sucks. Yeah, exactly. You know, I remember like, like I mixed, um, me and Ben Hulse mixed one of my songs that he worked for Sony studios in Nashville and we mixed a song there and you know, it was, it was an amazing experience, you know, but I, I remember leaving that experience just being like, that's just not for me. You know, like mm. even though it was beautiful, they had killer rooms, they had a huge console, they had all the gear you could imagine. They had everything. It was amazing but it just wasn't right. Like it, it took away all that intimacy and that, that inspired kind of vibe that totally. I had been making in bedrooms and closets and garages and, and basements my whole life. So I think there's something to be learned from that path as well. And I think that's something that I could teach because there are, everybody's a home, a home studio now. 
Well, so Ben went on to um, buying Southern tracks with some of his partners and, yep. you know, we worked on the wild hunt there and that was after doing the farm sessions. And honestly, you and I talk, used to talk about this all the time, but I think some of those farm drums sound better than the drums that we were recording and this big, awesome studio that all these great Everything, records have been yeah. made. Everything yeah. we did out at that farm, I think was cooler. And part of it, I think is like, when you're in a big studio, you don't get to live in it and, and, and learn it long enough to be no. in command of it, you know? Right. Like, you expect you work there every day you expect the engineer the house engineer to be that person exactly, like i know the exactly. studio so well here's how we get this sound and here's here if you want that you know but for yeah. me like that stuff is hands-on i want to i want to know that stuff innately i want to know like i want to feel that as opposed to just being told go in this room and do it this way and it'll come out this way it's like okay well that's not well how many how many hours have you spent in your studio currently your current studio doing that i mean i i spend i spend at least six hours a day if not eight to ten to twelve depending on what and how long has it been fully up like 18 months um no no not 18 months i mean i think i've been really operational for maybe this whole year and then maybe okay. a little bit of the end of last year you know gotcha but even building the studio though you know like i'm I'm, I'm literally building what I want to hear too. So that's kind of part of it also. Like, are you tweaking any of the construction after the fact? Like I did because of how it sounds. Yeah, I did. I did some softening. I flew some clouds. I think they were up when you came, but um, they were the uh, over the drum part. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to fly another cloud over my, I'm actually sitting in what I call my vocal booth, which is effectively, I only have one room. It's the one live tracking room. Yeah. And it, but but on the edge is like a soffit where the control room juts out into the live room. So it yeah. creates these kind of soffits on the sides of the wall. And so on this soffit where I'm sitting right now, this actually can, yeah. yeah. This black back here is actually a soft wall. So it's exactly. my vocal yeah. booth. And I remember that. I'm going to fly a cloud over the top of this to soften the top, you know, because my roof is a mixture of light wood, soft wood, and tin. And I did that because I wanted to create a bigger sound in the space. Right. Um, and I really love the way it sounds, but but some areas, if you soften them, it will kill some some uh, reverbs that I don't want. Like you don't want re natural reverbs in your lead vocal mic. No, you don't. Usually, <laughs> sometimes you do, but usually you don't. And so I'll roll a over here. I've got a soft wall, and then I'll roll a baffle soft wall over to close mm. it up. But I want to fly a cloud over the top. But you need something. Yeah, because you're getting a little bit of reflection so, and off again, the that's, ceiling. That's a fun thing, and it's like I I spend time thinking about that, and then trying to figure out ways to design that so that it looks good, it sounds good, it feels good, and it doesn't cost me anything. <laughs> you know? I mean, I guess that that would be an advantage of of doing an internship is actually being able to physically be in a studio and experiment or watch other people experiment. You know, at some yeah. point you're going to get the, you know, the assistant engineer is going to call in sick and suddenly you're going to be, you know, thrust into the spotlight. Yeah. Or better yet, I mean, studio, so. you know, the thing with me is like, you know, I'm not going to have a, an intern with somebody that's a shithead. So if the person that, that, <laughs> right. you know, that I'm working with take a, is. Take a bath, shut up and don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like an in, an intern for me is eventually going to become a friend. They're not going to just be a person that I boss sure. around. They're going to be somebody sure. that I I come to respect because if I don't come to respect them, they're not going to be around very long. So you could you I could imagine that if there was an intern that 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 did come here to, to learn things, they would eventually probably be able to do their own stuff here because I would respect them and and trust them. Sure. Sure. Um, you know and and. Because, I mean, A, for me, you know, I'm not a commercial studio. If somebody drops my ribbon mic on the ground and breaks it, I'm fucked. <sighs> Honestly, dude, I'm fucked. Like, I can't afford to, I mean, even with that not happening, one of my 414s has gone out. Um, I've got to get it worked on. You know, I do have a, a oh, no. ribbon mic that's got something weird going on with a magnet. These things cost a lot of money to repair. Um, I know. You know, so... You can't have people in your space that are not going to be respectful of the amount of uh, work and effort it takes to acquire these these things. I mean, microphones are expensive. Like, yeah, we're living oh, in yeah. this world somehow where like 
all these preamp companies and microphone companies, everything are putting out new products every day and people are just buying them up. I'm like, where the fuck you guys get all your money? That's man? Like, what I was, was saying. I, don't I mean, know. you know, I mean, I can't imagine that all these studios have huge label work. There's really not huge label money anymore. So like, you know, the expenses that it requires to have a studio is, is pretty high. And I think it's, probably what is pushing this technology driven kind of in the box thing e even mm -hmm. though even in the box is expensive now dude plugins are expensive as hell oh like, my god i i just got a quote for uh isotope the music bundle for work and i'm uh, trying to get uh i'm trying to get that and i'm trying to get rx and uh i 30 seats of the music bundle 20 of the um uh post-production bundle and it's $31,000. Even with the academic discount and the multi-seat discount, it's $31,000. That's amazing. Like, holy shit. I mean, that, you know what, Rolls, I think that's a good note to end on. I think yeah. having said that, I think what people can take away is that like, when when thirty one thousand dollars is an entry point to some plug-in bundles, like you yeah. might want to figure out how to be a good engineer, a person that can work with people, and a, and a person that can figure out how to draw art out of people. Because you're not going to have the money to have all the toys and the bells and whistles. You're going to have no. to figure out how to do it without that stuff. And that's what I did. And yep. you know, I think that served me really well. Figuring it out with nothing. Um, I think that is probably what I would try to teach an intern. How do you figure it out with nothing? Yeah, I mean, I, definitely, it's not about the tools themselves. Uh, you know, if you can, if you know how to build a house, you can build a house with a, you know, $10 hammer, you don't need the, you know, $100 right. hammer, uh, insert metaphor here, but you know, right, you understand what I'm saying, like, it's not really about the, the tools. I mean, unless you're talking about instruments, <laughs> that's where I would spend money on getting good, you know, it's not necessarily buying a $5,000 microphone. If you had a, a great sounding guitar, you could get a good sound with a 57. <laughs> no, that's true. I think, you know, for me, I kind of have, I have one drum kit that, you know, that I've acquired, you know, 15, 17 years ago, that same mm -hmm. drum kit I still have, you know, I've, I've kind of acquired one of each thing that served, that fills a role. Mm -hmm. And and really trying to take care of that stuff, you know. I mean, taking care Absolutely. of equipment, I think, is like really, really important. And I mean, it's really why I'm able to have a studio because I've taken care of the things that I have for so long. And right. you know that, and the fact that you know I've somehow you know magnetized a ton of uh, help from other people <laughs> over the years, yourself included. Like, um, but you know what? Not being a shithead. We'll, yeah. we'll get you a long that way. Goes, you that know? goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It helps you have opportunities and, and it and it helps to build trust and confidence with other people. And those those lessons, I think, are invaluable. And I think those are the types of lessons I think that, you know, thanks for helping well, me figure figure this intern thing out, Matt. <laughs> well, let's, yeah. So, so to your point, though, it's not about being not bad. It's about being good. Because I don't think you would attract the the number of people you have around you because you have a, a small, uh, dedicated group of folks that, you know, would do anything for you. And I, I think that's not because you're not a shithead. I think it's because you're a really good person, you know, and I think that goes a long way. People want to work with you again and make records with you because they have a good experience. They feel heard and seen and you get good sounds and, you know. Yeah, well, I think, and I think that, you know, you know um, I mean? one of the criticisms that I, yeah, I'm sure I surely get is that I just, I'm not really a, mar I don't market what I do. I don't really market what I do, but the way I market is that I try to have an impact on people, you know, yeah. and, and I don't mean that in a superficial way, like, oh, if somebody's coming over and I've got to impress them. It's not like that. It's, I want to connect with a person in a meaningful way so that their memory of, of ex the experience right. is something that they carry forever. I mean, dude, you know, this is how I talked about quiet hound shows. It was like, how Absolutely. do we make a show that when they leave, they never forget it. It was a memory, you know, and we did that mm -hmm. a few times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I try to have every single day in the studio feel like that for somebody. I want it to be a memory that when people leave, you know, they're like, wow, that's how it could be. You know, um, 
you know, I was fortunate enough to have a few people in my family that, that really did actually have their shit together. Um, you know, I have a, an aunt that's a yoga teacher and, and very mm. like, kind of spiritual in that way. And I, and I have a, another aunt who, you know, an uncle who started a business really early in their life and they raised kids and they did a great job. And so I had these like role models. They weren't my parents and they weren't direct necessarily, but they were people that that built that kind of vibe. It's like, how do I affect sure. people in a way that's meaningful to them and to me? And and I kind of was able to see that or, or you know, maybe it's in my blood a little bit, but I think like that's something that's like served me personally really well is just like making those connections. And I think I've been kind of trying to take that to the, to the next place, which is how do I do that with a studio? You know, I want to be mm -hmm. able to make connections with musicians in a way where I don't need to market myself because it'll just happen naturally because I do something good and I do it in a way that it resonates with a human being. And then they carry that with them and then they tell so-and-so and then that just kind of, and that's kind of how it's always happened for me. Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons why I'm like, how do you really talk to, uh, you know, somebody that's up and coming, that's trying to get into this industry? How do I really talk to them about what to do? Because what I do is so foreign to the industry. Right. You know, it's, I'm not really a part of the music industry. I'm part of this bubble, you know, that's, that's out here on the periphery of, of musicians and artists and, and creative thinkers, but it's not really in the limelight in any You're way. You're not part of the industry but you are an example of someone who makes their living doing creative doing music yeah, yeah. so no you're not part of you know but you look at the grammys and and what that is and if that's the music industry i don't really uh, yeah no i mean i'd be a part of that <laughs> I, I have friend i have friends that are you know, do, do these massive, you know, and I've done sound for some of them before, but like these massive, like gigs out in Vegas, for these huge productions oh, and all right, these yeah. different things, you know, it's just like that stuff just doesn't speak to me. You know, I, there's no connection in any of that. It's, mm -mm. you know, it's maybe a good way to kind of learn the ropes on the tech side or learn how to work with a team and things like oh, that. For I sure. think there's value in, in many different avenues, but I think <laughs> ultimately you know, the only way to change the world is to be, be the, be, be the change. change, be that change. Isn't that a Michael Jackson thing? Be that Something, change. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. I think he says that at like the end of black or white, doesn't he? I, th I swear yeah, it's like, right? yeah. Um, but, but, you know, as silly as that kind of thing sounds like it's true, like being something and and leaving an impression on people of what what could be i think is like the approach it's the approach to changing the world it's the only one that i've found that works it doesn't work like trying to become a rock star doesn't work you know trying to like convince people of your viewpoints doesn't work the only thing that really works is is to create a ripple that resonates you know and 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 not be attached to it either you know it it's not about whether or not i affected somebody it's just I was there in the present moment and then tried to be the best thing that I could be then. And that's all I can do. It's all you can do, you know? Well, I mean, that's, that's sort of my personal philosophy too, is, you know, and, and working with these students at, at Georgia State, like being, being an example of being the best person I can be, you know, I'm kind and generous with my time and re any resources, you know, and I've made lots of lifelong friends from students that have worked with me, you know, Micah Stansel, who did the Emperor's video for yeah. you guys, you know, um, you know, is a very good example of that. He's one of my best friends and uh, he's just cool and an amazing artist. And um, anyway, and I, and I think he learns things from me and I learned things from him. So, I, you know, I, I try to be that. Yeah, and I think people. you definitely you definitely are that. I think that's why having this conversation with you has been really enlightening. And also, um, it, it, you know, I feel like this similar to Micah. Like, you know, the things I've learned from you, and in turn, you're not closed off to learning from somebody that you're also teaching, right? Oh, I'm like, still in my internship with you. Yeah, well, and, and vice versa. <laughs> and, and I think that's that's a really good way to approach things. I think if you know is, is to approach it like that. Like you're, you're, you're going into a situation that you're going to learn in. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you're the master, you're the teacher or you're the student. That's, that's kind of what you're there to do. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, it's, it's, you know, you've worked with so many different young, young people along the way, um, you know, helping to teach them, but also, but also learning a lot of stuff from them, you know, it's like allowed you to, to stay in your own mind in a place where you understand the relevance of technologies of how people are using those technologies. You know what I'm saying? Like, even though you went to school and learned how to do, you know, work on tape machines, like that doesn't mean that like you're not right there with exactly what's happening with like the most current way to record now. But I'm, I'm with you. I'm always trying to learn new things. I get anxious when I'm not learning something new. So I'm always uh, reading or watching videos or, you know, experimenting with things in, in my studio or at, at work, you know? Right. I, and I would say the most important thing you can teach somebody, and maybe you can't teach them this, is how to stay curious. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. If you have uh, comments or thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Just hit us up on Instagram at Audio Astronauts, or you can also reach out to Matt Rolls at Matt Rolls ATL or me at Magnetic Recording. Thanks, and we'll talk to you next time.